self-directed IRAs have been around since the inception of the IRA and so you've always been allowed to do these things it's just there's you don't have many of the custodians that will that will let you know that you can do this in fact we have some of them will tell people well no it's illegal you cannot invest into real estate and it's absolutely untrue well hello and welcome to today's episode of invest in the west where we talk about investing strategies and real estate related topics in the western part of the united states i'm matt williams i'm here with nicholas cook my co-host Our guest today is Tom Moore with Equity Advantage, having a strong focus on setting up self-directed IRAs, which is really important and really interesting to a lot of our investor clients and uh, fellow investors. He's going to be speaking with us today about what a self-directed IRA is and how we can use them as real estate investors. So Tom, welcome very much. Thanks very much for coming. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Yeah, great. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into self-directed IRAs and... um, a little bit about your company. Sure. So actually, my my brother David and I uh, started up our 1031 exchange business back in 1991, uh, Equity Advantage, and we moved up from California, and uh, we're investing in real estate up here, and found that that there wasn't really anybody that was marketing the 1031 process. So we started up our 1031 exchange business. Uh, that was all that we did for many years, and um, in the early 2000s. We had a lot of our exchange clients that started asking us about investing into real estate with their IRAs and and 401k plans and how they could utilize those funds for real estate investments. Obviously, obviously those clients are real estate investment believers, so they wanted to utilize those funds as well. Uh, So we started looking into it and figuring out what role we we would want to take in that process, uh, whether we wanted to be a a custodian or a third-party administrator or what. Um, and uh, in 2008, when when we had the big uh, issues around the country and, and around <laughs> everywhere, we found ourselves with a lot of free time. So hmm. um, very few exchange, exchange transactions and real estate transactions in general. So at that point in time, we started up IRA Advantage. And in that business, we've, we uh, what we do is we act as a facilitation company. So people will call us up. They'll let us know what they've got, what type of accounts they've got, and how they want to utilize them, what sort of investments they want to go into. So we don't get involved at all with what they want to find. They'll have an idea of what they want to get into, contact us, and uh, and let us know what they want to do. And we will then help them to set up their retirement funds in a way to invest into real estate or gold or silver or make loans, whatever they want to do. Um, so yeah, we started up uh, IRA Advantage back in in uh, 2009, I think is when we started it, and uh, we got the help of some very good attorneys that have been working with uh, IRA investments in, in real estate uh, for quite some time prior to that to help us out. Nice. Well, I mean that being very involved in 1031 exchanges obviously gives you a really great context and, and background on that. So I can certainly see that uh, transition from a uh, a rookie standpoint, you know, the the those that are in the audience currently who may not be as familiar with this concept, tell us what a self-directed IRA is from an IRS perspective. I mean, it's uh, and maybe how those are similar or different from a four hundred one k, a regular uh, traditional IRA or Roth IRA. Yeah. Okay. So. A self-directed IRA is not really a, a legally defined term. It's it's and, and many people here uh, they'll call us up and say, "Well, I've got a self-directed IRA with so and so brand," you know, and they'll always mention the big the big um, uh, custodial names out there. And when when they tell us that they've got a self-directed custodian or self-directed IRA account with those firms. We know right off the top that it's not a truly self-directed IRA. It's really an IRA that those custodians have a set menu of investments that you can choose from. Okay, but you cannot go out and buy things like real estate. You cannot go out and buy things like gold or silver or make loans to startup companies or anything like that. And IRAs have always been allowed to do those things. It's just whether or not you have a custodian that allows that. 
So if you go to a truly self-directed custodian, they don't have these restrictions on those types of investments that you go into. Uh, IRAs have always been open. There's really a, a very short list of things you cannot buy, and those would be things like collectibles, uh, life insurance contracts, shares in an S corporation. Those are items you cannot buy with an IRA. Um, but the custodian, if you've got a custodian that says you cannot buy into those things, it's not, a, it's not an IRS policy, it's their own internal policy. So self-directed IRAs can take the form of traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, SEP IRAs, simple IRAs. Um, you can have a solo 401k plan, but all of those would allow for investments into anything else that the law allows. And again, this is a very short list of things that they don't allow. So, yeah, from a macro perspective, essentially an IRA is a, an investment opportunity for a retirement account to be used in the future, sometimes pre-tax, sometimes after-tax. Mm -hmm. And a self-directed IRA is in lieu of investing those funds into the stock market or one of the funds that that accommodator uh, or facilitator, rather, is allowing you to do, um, that self-directed IRA then just allows you to um, invest it into real estate assets. And, and many other things. And many like. other things, yeah. yeah. And, and again, there's very few things you cannot invest into. What people really have to watch out for is, is after they're investing into something, they want to make sure that they don't have a, a disqualified party that is in some way benefiting from that investment. And when we talk about disqualified parties, and maybe we'll get that to that, but a disqualified party is going to be, um, first and foremost, the IRA owner. Uh, so that IRA owner is a disqualified party. They cannot in any way benefit from that, from that asset. For example, if you buy a piece of real estate, they can't go in and live in, that real, live in that home, or they could not do work on that home even. Um, your other disqualified parties would be family members of lineal descent, um, children, grandchildren, parents, grandparents are all disqualified parties as well as a company or entity that is owned 50% or greater by a disqualified party. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, you know, given these are funds that the IRS by and large sees as retirement, like a retirement savings vehicle, the different types of um, IRAs, right? Um, you know, if investors have money sitting in a different type of account currently, like what types of funds can be converted into a self-directed IRA? So you can have uh, IRA funds uh, in just a traditional IRA account. You could have um, 401k rollovers. Any uh, any 401k account that somebody has that is from a prior employer, a previous employer, is mm -hmm. eligible typically for a rollover into an IRA and therefore into a self-directed IRA. Um, so when people call us, oftentimes it ends up being a sort of a house cleaning exercise for them as well because we have people, it's kind of surprised me, sometimes people will call up and they've got uh, 401k rollovers from a couple of different employers in the past and maybe they've got an IRA account and they can combine all of those. All of those uh, pre-tax accounts can be combined into a self-directed IRA, um, into a traditional self-directed IRA again. Uh, or, or a Roth account could be rolled into another self-directed Roth account. If somebody has a 401k plan with a, with a current employer, they're typically not available to roll until either they cease employment with that company or at 59 and a half. Uh, oftentimes you can roll funds out of that, out of that account. Got it. Got it. And just for, uh, for the audience and everything like that, can you just clarify a little bit the difference between like a traditional and a Roth IRA? Yeah, uh, traditional traditional IRAs, which is what most people will have, and they are uh, accounts where you're contributing funds to that account annually, and those funds are pre-tax um, they're pre-tax accounts in the respect that when you contribute to that IRA, you get to deduct that amount of the contribution from your from your taxes, uh, from your income for that year. Mm -hmm. A Roth account, on the other hand, and, and the idea with that is that when you do take the distribution in the future, it's at that point in time that you'll pay taxes, you'll pay income tax on. So you can you can put that money into the IRA account and, and over the years, as the amounts grow, it's all tax deferred income. You don't pay taxes until later on when you take the uh, distribution. With the Roth account, on the other hand, those funds are post-tax dollars. So you've already paid taxes on those funds. You make the contribution, and you uh, at at a later date when you do take the the distribution, it's all tax-free. 
Cool. Great. Well, obviously, I mean, this is a wonderful vehicle, especially for people who are interested in, in real estate. And so, you know, when setting, you know, one of these up, what are some of the logistical kind of must do things when it comes to, you know, setting up correctly and right? Sure. Um, well, it depends a little bit on, on what these people want to invest into to begin with, because people will call us up and if all that they want to do is maybe make a one-time loan to somebody uh, or, or what they're purchasing is a, a, a one-time investment, they're not going to be very active with it, um, they oftentimes won't need us. Uh, I'll, I'll tell them that they can contact a self-directed custodian. A lot of times those custodians will just have everything that is needed online on their websites to open the account and to make a transfer and make that investment. Um, if they are looking to go into something like, and real estate is a, a focus of, here today, and, and honestly, real estate investments in some form or another is they make up the majority of the people that contact us. People will usually be investing in some sort of real estate or real estate related asset. Um, usually for a real estate investment, they will want to have what we call an IRA LLC or a checkbook IRA. And that is really where we come into play. And so with those, um, with a real estate uh, IRA, IRA and uh, LLC uh, entity, what we do is we take them from, from the very beginning and they'll contact us and say, I've got this 401k account or I've got an IRA and a 401k and I want to use those funds to invest in this property. And so what we will do is we'll get all their information. We'll open up the new custodial account for them at the, the self-directed custodian. We'll do all the paperwork for the transfer of the funds, whatever the funds we're going to use, whether it's their entire account or a portion of it. We'll do all the paperwork to get that account opened and funded. And uh, in the meantime, what we'll do is we will register an LLC with the state. We get them an EIN and uh, prepare operating agreements and business plans, unit, unit subscription agreements for those uh, investments, and we'll, we'll uh, supply that client with everything that they need to open up a bank account at their local bank, wherever they want to do their, their banking for the company. And uh, after these funds are transferred into the new custodial account, what's going to happen is those funds are going to be used to invest into this new LLC that we've created. And um, what these people end up with is a manager-managed company that they're the manager of that has money in their local bank, and now they can go out and invest in property. And, and it makes it a very, it's a very smooth transaction when they, go, when they want to go out and buy property because they're going to go out and buy property the, the way that they normally would. They're going to make an offer in the name of the LLC. They're the party that signs all the purchase documentation at the close of escrow and uh, after the acquisitions made, all of the income and expenses are taken care of by them directly out of that, that LLC bank account. Got it, got it, that makes sense. Great. Well, I mean, you had touched on this a little bit earlier in that, you know, obviously real estate's a popular topic for people to utilize, um, you know, self-directed IRAs with. Um, real estate's not the only thing that they can invest in. Um, what are some of the other things that you've seen your clients use those funds for or have been investing in? Sure. Um, we, we actually have quite a few people that uh, will act as lenders and loan money to uh, builders. Mm. Um, we've got quite a few people that will... Uh, if, if they have a smaller amount of funds and not enough to maybe go out and buy property, and they, but they do want to buy into these real estate-related assets again, um, a lot of people will invest into uh, funds that are connected to um, private money lenders. And uh, so... Mm. So there's Crowd Street or something like that. Or. Yeah, there's and there's a there's a company down in in the Eugene area that does does uh, it's a private lender for for uh, single family residences. We have a lot of people that go into their fund. They offer a couple of different funds for investments. One's uh, available just to uh, just for Oregon transactions, and others for nationwide. Um, but we have other people that will invest into gold and silver um, with. Things like rental properties. A lot of times, these these uh, LLC bank accounts, if if the property is owned outright, the LLC bank accounts end up growing quite rapidly because of the investment, the rental income, mm -hmm. and uh, they 
you know, not making any money sitting in the banks, so they'll, ha- they'll oftentimes have a brokerage account that is attached to that LLC as well. So they can use some of these, this rental income to also invest back into this, to the stock market if they want to. Great. So uh, just to be clear, they set up the LLC. Uh, they're receiving funds. Uh, let's say that that LLC owns a property. They're receiving funds. They can then uh, that LLC can then uh, reinvest some of those funds into stock market or do hard money loans. The LLC itself is the lender. Is that correct? Correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned was gold and silver. Do you find a lot of clients are like investing in you know the actual like securities of gold and silver? Or are they buying the physical stuff that they're gonna you know put in their house somewhere or vault? Uh, the the physical assets the gold and silver itself um, when they are doing that that what they really the way that they need to store that really is through a, a bank so they should have a a safety deposit box under the llc's name at the bank Got it. so it's kept there so you know uh, one strategy a lot of people have used with 401ks is they'll borrow against that and obviously we have that um, arm's length um, some of the restrictions specific to uh, anyone with us, a direct relative or yourself, the owner of the, the IRA uh, benefiting is obviously restricted. So how does that work uh, from an investment perspective? I presume that those loans can't go to family members. You can't be benefiting from um, the IRA investment outside of the IRA. Is that correct? That is that is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So if they're lending and and this is what we really need to look at, it's very very rare that somebody will will be wanting to invest into something that is prohibited under the IRS. It's just whether or not their investment is going to in some way benefit that disqualified party again. So yeah, absolutely cannot uh, loan to a a, uh, family member if again it is of lineal descent. Now somebody could go out and loan money to their sibling if they wanted to, or aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews. That's those are all fine. And and these loans can be um, they can be either secured or unsecured loans too. Um, you know, we on that on that topic of of benefiting, we oftentimes will get somebody calling up and say, I've got a, a daughter that's going to school at X you know, university and I'd like to buy a rental property and let them you know, rent there and maybe a couple of roommates. And they cannot do that, but if they, had, if they wanted to do something like that, they could certainly do so for a, a, a niece or nephew that might be going to a college. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that I know that some people have I've heard talk about, and maybe we get some clarification on this, because is... Um, you know, obviously you have a rental property, right? Maybe it's a rental property you own, you know, at the coast or it's something you own at the mountain or in wine country. Um, obviously there's people who might want to take advantage of that themselves. And obviously there's a lot of limitations around that, but is there any room where somebody, if they wanted to, you know, spend maybe a couple weeks out of the year at that property, or is that just strictly prohibited? It, it is prohibited. Okay. It, it is prohibited. If, uh, if, Somebody, and we do have people that are that will buy a property that that they ultimately want to have as a vacation home for themselves or a retirement home, and that's fine for them to buy the property with the idea that in the future that's what they're going to do with it. But they need to treat it as an investment until such time as they take that asset as a distribution, and that's really what it's going to take. They, they're going to have to take if they if they want to utilize it for personal use, then they're going to have to take the property out of the out of the IRA as a distribution and it's not you can't just say take 25 percent over a couple of years and start using it um for whatever mm-hmm. respective uh, percentage of the time you've you, you've got it but you have to take the entire thing out as a distribution can you do partial investment so let's say you have a property and you want to use your ira to invest in this you know acquisition but you don't have enough money in your IRA to do the whole thing. Can you, you know, take some of your personal money and put it in the project, and then take some from the IRA, and yeah. put it in the project that way? Yeah, no, good, good question, and that happens quite often. Um, so the answer is yes. You, if you've got cash in the in the IRA that you want to use as um, as partial payment for for a new property acquisition or new investment of some sort, and you want to either bring in other investors or if you want to uh, add to the pot yourself you can certainly do that even though you are considered to be a disqualified party from your ira it's all right for you to invest alongside your ira as long as you're buying into the investment at the same time so so you can partner up with your ira 
to buy property. And a lot of times with if we were to set up an IRA LLC for somebody and they want to come in and add more money, personal money, uh, to the transaction to buy something, uh, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll set up a secondary LLC, a second-tier LLC that is now the partnership between the IRA LLC and themselves. And that entity now goes out and buys the asset. And, and so it's fine, is, again, as long as you're buying into it at the same time, but you could not have a situation where the, either you or the IRA purchased and then the other party comes in after the fact. So, um, Tom, thanks f- again for all these clarifications. One of the things that we've done, so um, I own a few properties that have partners as, um, or IRAs as partners, I should say. Uh, and those IRAs own a portion of the LLC. So I set up an LLC and then um, someone takes funds from their self-directed IRA. And in, in, in the operating agreement, that IRA owns 5%, 15%, whatever that may be. A couple things um, have come up for me from a learning process. When I go to finance that property, it can be a little bit tricky, um, especially if the self-directed IRA owns a significant portion because many lenders want whoever owns a significant portion of the property to be on the loan. Now, obviously, you can't um, – There are one of the restrictions, as I understand, is that the IRA um, can't enter into an agreement where the owner of the IRA – is also um, responsible for that loan. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the lending side of that and some yeah, of the restrictions? Yeah, exactly. that's exactly right. And it comes down to uh, beneficial relationships, again, between you and the IRA. Um, if you're getting financing for, uh, for an acquisition that's involving an IRA, then the financing has to be through a non-recourse loan. So the... the uh, the IRA owner cannot be a personal guarantor on the financing. The, with a non-recourse loan, the lenders, their sole recourse is the property itself. And, and so you've, you are going to be restricted uh, somewhat as far as your pool of, of lenders is concerned. But there are lenders out there that have specialized in lending to IRAs, and they've been doing so for many, many years. Um, and, and we've got a, you know, we've got a handful of those uh, that we can certainly hand out to people. And, and if you are doing that, if you went on, let's, let's say just for an easy example, if you wanted to put, um, 50% down on a piece of property, if you set up an IRA LLC and you wanted to put 50% down on the property and you're going to be borrowing the remaining money through a non-recourse loan, um, now, because you got because you have a situation where you're buying half the property with qualified funds and half with non-qualified borrowed money, uh, you you now have to pay UBIT taxes or unrelated business income taxes, and sometimes it's unrelated business taxable income, UBIT or UBTI. They're all interchangeable, but um, the UBIT taxes come into play because once again you've got a portion of the property that is that is acquired through. Uh, non-qualified funds, and in that case, essentially what you're doing is you're having to pay taxes on half the net operating income of the property. And it is your IRA that ends up paying those taxes. Okay. So um, that's interesting because, you know, um, typically the IRA is not really needing any tax benefits like depreciation and mm-hmm. some of those other, uh, some of the write-offs that are associated with that. But in this case, obviously they could utilize the write-off up to the, up to the extent of, um, the UBTI, correct? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So it does help. It does help the depreciation and so forth does help in that respect because it, it minimizes the tax exposure. Um, and, and then, you know, the depreciation is a question that always comes up. Well, do I get to take, if I, if my IRA, if I buy a property with my IRA, do I get to take depreciation? And, and the answer is no, because it's not your property. It's your IRA's property. So you don't personally get to benefit from it, but in a case where the IRA is purchasing, then yes, it does come into play. It does help the IRA LLC in this case, or the IRA, because it does minimize tax exposure. Now, uh, in my experience with the with the uh, properties that I've purchased with the IRAs, the IRAs have always been minor. I've got one that has uh, three IRAs in it at 5% each. They only own 5% of the LLC. One uh, that has 20%. Um, ownership in the LLC and another one where I own 50% of the property and two IRAs split 25% on the other portion. So they bring funds to close out of their self-directed IRA to purchase a property. And then these are both, uh, all of those actually are 
recourse loans, and I'm the guy on the hook at the end of it because my partners have the IRAs. Now that allows me in that situation, um, the underwriter allowed an exemption uh, because they're self-directed IRAs, they understand it. So the underwriter says, okay, we get it. Now let's just look at the, the guy who's actually on the hook. Does he have, does he have enough uh, assets to really cover this? Is there a scenario where um, that, that you've seen that it makes sense to finance those? Because I know that there's a higher interest rate on non-recourse and um, I've heard, and I haven't, I don't have direct experience with this. You've mentioned a, a couple lenders that the interest rate's a little bit higher if they're, uh, loaning, uh, doing a loan on a property for the self-directed IRAs. Do you know kind of what, what the differences are in those loan terms? Um, the loans typically, the non-recourse lenders that, that we see people utilize, and, and, you know, you can have a cert- certainly a situation where you've got, uh, if, if you've got, um, the majority being purchased with, with uh, an individual, and as long as the IRA owners don't have any, they don't have to um, guarantee the financing in any way, then you may end up with a, with a lender that will just keep that individual on the hook. Um, but you want to really make sure that the IRA owner does not have any obligation whatsoever uh, if, if they were to go into default. Um, as far as the the non-recourse loans or lenders that we see handling these things, they, they typically will not lend very high um, amounts on these things. You're you're usually going to see a maximum of fifty to sixty percent loan to value, and because of that, you know properties have good equity in them. the The finance rates are not typically much higher than a normal or an ordinary non-owner occupied property, so you're not paying exorbitant. Uh, interest rates uh, with these it's it's not like they don't see these as, as very high risk loans they want to make sure that the properties are either rent ready when they're purchased or they're very near rent ready or maybe they're already rented um, and and if so and they've got that good equity in the property then again not a high risk loan the other thing that they typically will require too is they want you to have about 15 percent of the borrowed amount um, in re- in reserve whether it's in that that uh, self-directed IRA account or in some other IRA that is accessible should they need it. And that self-directed IRA is is still technically an active IRA, so you can continue to contribute from the outside obviously per the guidelines for the IRS, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. It it is it's an it's an IRA with the same uh, contribution and distribution rules and regulations as any IRA. It's just the the custodian doesn't have the restrictions on what you can invest into. Okay, good. Well, uh, thank you all for joining us so far. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Tom to finish up and uh, discuss a little more strategy. Every real estate transaction is an investment. Whether you're buying your first home, selling your current home, or looking for an investment property, you're spending hard-earned money and building wealth. Matt Williams and his team have the tools to make every real estate experience a great one. Unlike other realtors, Matt and his team have industry expertise and resources that save you money and simplify the process. If you're thinking of buying or selling a home or want to work with a true professional to invest in real estate, go to bisonproperties.com to learn more about Matt Williams and his team. That's B-I-S-O-N properties.com. Okay, so we're back here. Uh, we're talking about self-directed IRAs here with Tom. And you know, one of the things that comes to mind, especially if people are talking about investing in you know real estate, um, real estate has risk, right? And you have a situation, especially with you know rental property, landlord-tenant situations, where a tenant might suit you. Somebody might fall on your property and get harmed. Um, I imagine some people probably are somewhat concerned about that exposure, right? Like, do is their IRA going to be at significant risk, uh, especially if they have large sums of money and only a portion in real estate um, from something like that, or do they have any sort of protections? Do you know? Well, like any property, the the property owner um, is is going to have some risk, certainly, uh, with a with a piece of real estate, if you buy rental real estate and you hold it, uh, for example, in these IRA LLCs, then and and somebody were to fall on the property, then then yeah, the the uh, that party could sue the property owner. Um, in this case, it's the the LLC. 
uh, and, and a lot of people with these will kind of do the same thing that they do with personally owned properties where if they own two or three different investment properties or, or more, they might want to set up a, a, a new LLC for each one of those that they own. And so they put each property in a different LLC. And it doesn't mean you have to set up a separate IRA LLC for each acquisition. But if you've got one main, uh, one IRA LLC that is now the parent company, it could certainly have um, single member LLCs of its own uh, that it is the sole member of for each real estate acquisition. But yeah, it it, it, it will have, uh, the, the entity itself will certainly have some risk still. Got it, got it. Okay, well, that's great. Um, so one of the things is like, what sort of reporting is required either annually or, you know, if you're withdrawing funds, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, with the with the IRA LLC, most of them that we set up are going to be single member LLCs that are now disregarded for tax purposes. And think of it as, uh, you know, if, with with most people's IRAs, they're invested in public into uh, publicly traded companies. And of course, you don't have to any don't have to do any reporting for any of that uh, yourself. So in this case, you're investing into a privately held company. Again, if if that LLC is a single member LLC, then there's no reporting required. If you were to do something like um, set up a partnership where you had your IRA LLC and another and and yourself or somebody else going in as an investor, now you've got partnership returns and K ones and things like that, that that have to be prepared. Or if you do have the, uh, if you've got UBIT taxation, then you're going to have to file um, a, a tax uh, statement for that as well. As far as the distributions are concerned, and and this is this is where some people make mistakes in these. Uh, we haven't talked about downsides to IRA. Uh, self-directed IRA LLCs, and I usually will tell people that that one of the big downsides is kind of the same as the big upside is that you have full control, and we certainly, you know, it doesn't matter how much consultation we do, we st- we still have people that will do the wrong thing, and uh, they might end up. Uh, thinking, okay, I'm going to take a distribution, and instead of going through the proper channels, which would be to write a check or send money back to the custodian from the LLC and then request that distribution from the custodian, sometimes they might write a check to themselves, and mm. that is a big no-no. You know, you don't want to do that. It's uh, potentially, you know, big, large, uh, damaging consequences. Uh, it can blow up your IRA. And so... Again, when you want to take a distribution, what you want to do is you're going to send money back. You'll always have that custodian, uh, the uh, custodial account in place. What it shows is you own shares of this LLC, this company. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to send money back from the company to the uh, custodian. And that goes back as a, a um, either a liquidation of partial liquidation of shares, or it could be a full liquidation, or it could be uh, dividends back to the uh, custodian, and then you request that distribution from the custodian. They now know that you've taken it, and they 1099 you like they would for any, uh, any Got distribution. It. Got it. So are there um, timelines and limits involved with self-directed you know, IRAs as far as draws and contributions go, et cetera? You've got the same contribution restrictions as you do for any IRA, um, you know, fairly fairly uh, limited for a traditional IRA. More, you know, you've got higher contributions certainly for SEP IRAs, um, and and just same thing for any IRA. It's an annual annual contribution that you can make. Okay. Um, well, I mean, this sounds like a, a great vehicle. Obviously, you know, it's a vehicle that maybe not a lot of people are aware of. Um, there's a lot of change going on in our, you know, tax policy over the last, you know, 10 years, but especially over the last four years. Do you see any um, changes maybe that the IRS would be making in the way that people use their self-directed IRAs? Not really. Um, you know, the IRAs and, and these this, the uh, self-directed IRAs have been around since the inception of the IRA. And so you've always been allowed to do these things. It's just that you don't have many of the custodians that will that will let you know that you can do this. In fact, we have some of them will tell people, well, no, it's illegal. You cannot invest into real estate. And it's absolutely untrue. What you cannot do is you cannot buy a property that you're going to live in. Okay. And, yeah. and so it, uh, as far as changes, um, not really anything on the horizon. When we first started doing this, uh, 
we had heard through several sources that that the IRS was really going to start looking into these self-directed IRAs where the uh, IRA owner is a manager of the company and because obviously there is potential uh, as we mentioned for some problem there um, but uh, these have been have been used for quite some time now we've been doing them for a dozen 13 years the the attorneys that I mentioned before that that um, that we started out working with were doing these for probably five to ten years prior to even working with us so they've been around for quite some time and uh, at, at the moment uh, we don't we don't see any any changes Tom, investors are oftentimes do-it-yourselfers, and I think that the arm's length uh, situation can really be a, a challenge for people who have, on other projects, been very involved, and maybe they do their own property management, they do their own maintenance, they like to visit the property, talk to the tenants, they uh, would pull permits if it were a development piece, that kind of thing. But those types of activities are also excluded from their ability in a self-directed IRA, is that correct? It is, uh, to the most extent, because you can, as as the manager of the LLC, you can handle administrative functions. You can, you know, you can make offers on property. Certainly, you can, you can, um, you know, advertise for rent. Uh, you can receive rental applications. You can do all that stuff yourself. Uh, if if it if you're doing uh, much more than that, then you're going to run into some issues because, you know, people will usually want to have. If, if you've got something like a fourplex, you might want to have a property manager just to really keep it arm's length. But yeah, it, it is a challenge for a lot of people because as you mentioned, we've got a lot of people that are, that are do-it-yourselfers and, and uh, you know, we'll have uh, builders that'll contact us even and say, well, you know, I want to use my IRA for this. And then it's always a red flag. Well, you're probably going to want to do the work yourself, right? Because that's where all of the, <laughs> that's where the big profits are going to come and you're not paying somebody else to do the work. And yeah, they have a hard time handing that off to somebody else. Um, and then we've got other clients that when they hear that they can't do any of that stuff, it's kind of a relief to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I'd really love to do it, but I can't this time, so uh, I have to get somebody else in there. But yeah, it's, it, it can be a challenge for people to, to hand off that management to somebody else. Again, you can handle the basic things. You're certainly going to keep the books for the company and and, um, and work on that. If you, and if you have questions uh, about if somebody calls up and they, they want to do something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, uh, if we don't have the answers, we've got great resources through attorneys and, and accountants so we can always get good answers from them as, what, as far as what they can do. Well, you know, to be honest with you, in my experience, it's kind of a relief uh, to have some of that, too, for my fellow investors. Uh, I work primarily on stabilization projects, so I'll go in, look for a property that is undermanaged and, um, you know, underserved, the community's underserved, purchase the asset, bring in partners that are self-directed IRAs, and they can't go and do their own handyman work, which puts me in a position where I can end up with a professional doing it. I can stay on that timeline. I know the quality of work that's going to be done. You know, the other benefit I think to that is it's it's very much a passive income strategy. It's not a I need this month's income, which works really well for a stabilization project because the first three to five years you might not make very much at all, right? And then the long term benefit obviously is where that benefit comes in. Yeah. yeah. Um, how about um, cash calls? So let's assume that the self directed IRAs LLC purchases a property and they're short on funds for repairs, how would the, I'm sorry, not the buyer, how would the LLC or the owner of the IRA make a contribution uh, if that exceeds that year's annual? How, how do they, they make that shortfall? Yeah, it, it really is going to have to come back to, and that's what we will we'll always do, uh, consultation with people to make sure you've got reserves for, you know, if, if you need a new roof on that property or something else, you don't want to be putting all, all your eggs into this thing at one time because if you don't have the money to take care of that needed repair, um, then you're going to have to really look at possibly borrowing it from somebody uh, that is, again, a, a non-disqualified party uh, in order to make those repairs and, and borrow those funds. Um, it, it, that can get tricky uh, if, if you're having to add money because again, it cannot come from yourself, cannot come from anybody who's a disqualified party. So if you don't have reserves in an IRA somewhere else, if you do have an IRA elsewhere, then then it's just a matter of, okay, let's move another 
maybe you've got to move another 25 grand to, to your LLC, and that would just be through a transfer of funds from some other custodian possibly into your self-directed IRA and then having them do a subsequent investment of, of more shares into the company. And that's the way to get money into it. Either that or hopefully you're at a point where maybe you can make a contribution to the IRA and go through that that source or that uh, course of action where you contribute and then direct the custodian to make another investment uh, of shares and move that money into the IRA that way into the LLC that way. Yeah. You know what, one of the ways that I kind of explain it to clients is, you know, the IRS wants to make sure that the investment itself is making the money that you're not contributing above your allowable amount. Let's say that you have a cap of $7,500 per year, uh, putting money into it. If you go and do uh, $20,000 worth of work, then that's really kind of a workaround on the amount, the limit that you have contributing to that IRA. And so that's one thing that I think has helped clients just kind of understand that concept of, you know, let the IRA itself make the money. You go make money doing something else and just follow the guidelines outside of it. Yeah, exactly. You, you want this thing to be self-sufficient. It's going to take care of its expenses. And, and that is, again, the whole reason behind these, these, uh, uh, non-recourse lenders not loaning past you know maximum maybe 60 percent they feel if they're doing that then that property is going to be a cash flowing property it'll be cash flowing pretty decently and and should therefore uh, be able to handle uh, those those expenses as they come up now you mentioned earlier one of the uh, you know a couple things that can be a challenge to in to IRA investors when they're looking at um, taking some of those funds and, and investing in real estate. What are some of the, th the trip ups that can really cause um, a pretty significant problem for investors who are utilizing that for real estate? Yeah. Um, w one of the first things that, that we'll always tell people, if, if they are out considering purchase of property, um, you really want to have this thing set up ahead of time if if you can because you, you cannot make an offer on property in your own personal name and then assign that purchase agreement over to your IRA or to your IRA LLC to buy that property afterwards. That is again comes down to you benefiting your IRA and it creates a prohibited transaction. So uh, a lot of times people call up and they, they say, well, I want to do this, but I don't I don't have the property in mind, but I want to be ready. Uh, so we'll say well, we can set it up. And let's just move some of the funds into it so you've got enough cash in there to make an earnest money deposit when that property comes up and you want to make an offer. So having, the, having it set up ahead of time, you know, being ready for that purchase uh, when you want to buy it is, is really a good idea. We certainly do have transactions, though. People come in and they, they say, I want to buy a property today. And uh, we can usually get an LLC name. Uh, registered with the state and, and get an operating agreement prepared right away. It's just that it will might it might take uh, you know two to three weeks or more to get cash in that account so that they can actually have money for a physical down payment. So they might have to make an earnest money you know drop an earnest money note in the meantime. Um, but having the pro having it ready to to acquire uh, that's that's one of the big things we, that we always encourage people to do. Um, as far as uh, post acquisition of, of property, um, you know, I think that uh, we we still have people contacting us. They want to use a, they want to go out and and buy some materials at Home Depot or someplace and and pay for it with personal funds and get reimbursed. You just cannot do any of that. You just need to make sure that everything you're doing is paid for out of that. LLC bank account. So all of the expenses, all of the income go in and out of that bank account. So you're never writing a check to yourself. You don't want to be taking your, if you have a debit card or something like that, you don't want to be going out and buying coffee on it. Uh, <laughs> you know, th those types of things, although they seem small, uh, could be devastating in the long run. So just really quick, I mean, this is could be a very powerful tool, especially with something like real estate, where you're getting large appreciation and value over time. You know, you have loans amortizing, just income. I mean, maybe even if you're flipping properties, you can get some pretty significant upside. Do you see that most of your clients or people that are investing in real estate, are they using typically just a traditional IRA that's self-directed through you, or are they using the Roth version? Is there one that they tend to favor more? Um, 
most people have traditional, most people have uh, pre-tax money. It's just, uh, certainly some people have Roth accounts that have quite a bit of money in it, but it's it's a challenge to get a lot of money into a Roth account. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, the traditional accounts are what are typically used. Um, you know, we, and we do, uh, we do set up for people who have um, sole proprietorships. Um, we, we will, like real estate brokers are a classic example where they, they, as long as they don't have any employees, we can set up a solo 401k plan for people to buy property with too. Hmm. Um, but, but most of it is pre-tax, whether it's through a 401k plan or IRAs, most of it is, is pre-tax money. Um, but sometimes people will want to combine uh, IRA, you know, traditional IRAs and uh, Roth accounts uh, for acquisitions, and it's we can certainly do that. We've we've got transactions oftentimes that involve spouses. One of them's got an, you know, maybe somebody's got a, an IRA. Another the spouse has a Roth IRA, and they want to use both of them to go out and, and invest in property. So we can do that, and we can form the the initial IRA LLC as a partnership, or we could set up a, and that works fine if they're still in the phase where they are contributing to their IRAs and and they want to keep those separate in order to allow that. If they're done contributing and it's uh, you know it's going to be a shorter time period, then then we might just set up a partnership to begin with, and they just use that money to go out and buy property. Is is there a healthy balance in that? Um, in the amount that different parties are contributing, um, let's say that uh, to to be a little more clear, I guess, if you have uh, self-directed IRA money and money from investors that are just using cash, whether that be spouses or um, partners, you know, general partners, is there a healthy balance there? I mean, from a lending side, what I've found is that uh, banks like to see fifty-one percent owned by someone that um, can sign on behalf of a recourse loan, right? So from a lending perspective, I see that. But from a, a spouse side, like let's say husband and wife get ready to go purchase a property. If they go in 50-50, husband's doing all the work and uh, on the maintenance of the property. Um, in that scenario, he's able to do it because he owns it outside of, an, of a, the IRA, whereas maybe the wife contributed uh, IRA funds on one project, and then they flip it on another project. Um, is it is there some type of balance there um, so that the IRS doesn't look at it and say, hang on a second, yeah, husband and wife uh, own it together, one's in an IRA and one isn't, but the husband's doing a lot more work on it, and the IRA's benefiting from that. Is, is Does that cause a problem? Well, it, can, it, it, it certainly, in, in that example, causes a problem because the spouse is going to be a disqualified party. So they, they can't, uh, it doesn't matter what the percentage ownership is, they can't do any work on that property. Um, and so as far as spouses going into properties, it really doesn't matter um, what the percentage ownership is if they're going in as partners. Uh, again, they can't they can't uh, do any physical labor. Neither, neither one of them would be able to do any physical labor on the property if if one of their IRAs is involved. Gotcha. Um, so at, if they have two IRA, two separate IRAs, they're both excluded. If one of them has an IRA, they're both excluded. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And the the uh, proportion share does not matter. No. no. So I have a slightly selfish question. Um, <laughs> if if. Uh, if I had a you know self-directed IRA here and I bought some real estate, I own a property management company. Could mm -hmm. the company manage that, or would I have to find another management company to manage it? Uh, good question. And if so, and and I, this is this is one of those things I'd probably want to run by one of our attorneys. But but what uh, what we've been told in the past is that. If that property management company, if, if they were only managing that IRA-owned asset, then yes, you've got a problem. But yeah. if if you've got a multitude of properties that you're managing for various owners and this, this uh, IRA LLC that owns property is a very small portion of that management company's business, then it, it, it may be allowed. I think it's going to be a, somewhat of a gray area, and, and it is certainly something that, that I would encourage we talk a little bit more with our attorneys about and, and see if, if everybody's comfortable in going down that road. Um, but, but yeah, there, there is some leeway if, again, your company is, if that, if that asset is a very small 
portion of the income. Good to know. Thank you. You know, I, I Tom, I really do believe that this is one of the uh, most underappreciated opportunities in real estate investing and use, utilizing a self-directed IRA. And I, we were talking a little bit um, prior to the show just about how 1031 exchanges are on everyone's radar because there's a catalyst, right? You're going to take a tax hit when you sell this asset or uh, you're going to do a 1031 exchange, right? So that's a, a pretty specific uh, piece. Whereas the self-directed IRA, there's no real catalyst. Maybe it's because the folks that are holding your money are holding it and can make money putting it in the stock market. But maybe it's just because it's not on the radar. So are there any um, pointers or um, any insight that you can give the audience just about self-directed IRAs in general on how you've seen them used and some of the um, returns uh, people are getting and that kind of thing? Yeah, I, th I think that the, the catalyst really has to come from within because most of the people that, that contact us are – of course invested into the stock market like everybody else and most people don't understand the stock market uh, it it is uh, it's kind of like gambling to most people and you know they don't they don't know the if you ask somebody what they're invested into they'll say well it's invested into this mutual fund or they've got this this annuity over here but they really don't know what it's invested into they don't know the companies that are involved or anything um, and they just get a statement, and it's just kind of one of those things that everybody does it the same way, and it's, uh, you know, Wall Street's kind of had the control of everybody's money for a, a very long time and continue to control most people's money as far as retirement accounts are concerned. Um, this allows you to invest in what you know. Um, in, you're in real estate. You guys are both in real estate. That's what you guys know. I'm sure that you feel more comfortable with money invested into real estate assets and if it's not in a certain area or if you see things changing in a certain area, uh, as we all do, then they, they'll want to move their assets to a different area. But, but real estate is something that you know. It's a physical asset. You know, you can reach out and touch it. Um, and uh, so that's what the catalyst is for people who contact us. And, and, uh, and again, a lot of times it's not that they want to invest all of their money. Uh, it might be a one-time acquisition. They've got an opportunity. Uh, this property came up, and they they don't think that they've got money. But then they look and okay, I've got I do have cash. It's in my IRA. I can buy that. Um, so sometimes it's a one-time investment. Other times the, they'll want to just say, I'm done with the market. I want to move everything, and I I, I want to know where my money is. And, and uh, with these IRA LLCs, the other thing that people feel really comfortable with is that when you make a transfer from your existing custodian over to a self-directed custodian, um, that money, except for a very small cash amount, all the rest of the cash is going to go into your LLC bank account. And the only one that has control over that money is you. Okay, it, it's, not, it's not held by a custodian anymore. It's held under, you know, that, that LLC is an asset on your custodial account, but you're the one that's got the power of the pen to write checks. Uh, you've got control of those funds. If you're going to take a distribution, then it's up to you. You're going to send money back to the custodian, you know, temporarily, but, but you've got the cash in the bank. You know where it is. You've got control of the assets. Uh, it's, so it's really quite comforting for most people. So one of the one of the things that kind of comes up is, you know, I talk to clients and they say, okay, I'm ready to go. So they transfer this money in and it's just sitting there until we find the right property. What have you seen clients do with that money while they're waiting for the right property to pop up where it's fairly liquid, they can get it within 45 to 60 days for the closing? Yeah. Um, we see people that will do some short-term notes every once in a while. We'll see people see people that will set up a brokerage account under the uh, LLC. Uh, so they may have you know, an Ameritrade account or something like that that is just under the LLC name. And uh, they'll, they can continue to invest in the, the stock market if they want to and keep it there. And then the property comes up, they just sell off whatever's needed to, to invest at that point in time. Um, but there are a lot of different uh, short-term investments that people can make. Um, Again, if, if they're short-term loans and, and fairly liquid, then that works. But uh, stock market investments uh, are probably the easiest to to uh, liquidate if you're going to invest into something. Okay. Well, good. Um, as we kind of uh, close out, is there anything else about a self-directed IRA or the process or real estate investing in particular that um, 
you know you have for our audience that we missed today? I think that it's just really important for people to, to if you've got an idea of something that you want to invest into, just to contact us and and have a conversation because we'll talk to people all day long and and uh, a lot of times they don't need us um, and and you know we've been doing this long enough to know when somebody when when what we do is going to benefit them and not. Um, we do get phone calls all the time from people who may have attended a seminar and they've gotten set up with uh, a structuring like we, like what we do, but then they're kind of set left out on their own and and they um, will start engaging in transactions that they really should not engage in. Um, so, you know, I, I think that what we, uh, what David and I, my brother and I have, have always uh tried to do with both our exchange business and the IRA business is just to really try to help educate people and to educate uh, not only inve the investors but the professionals that might be helping the investors. So we we spend a lot of time on the phone every day helping out people that that are that are our clients and those that are not our clients and uh, with the idea that if we help those that are not our clients and hopefully they will be our clients in the future but <laughs> but uh, um, you know, educating yourself on the do's and don'ts is is really big. And I, I like the person who's doing the planning, who calls us up, uh, you know, six months or a year ahead of the actual investment that they want to make, so that they are ready to do it. And and when we do a transaction, um, for the most part, we're kind of out of the picture after we're done. But that being said our clients will contact us. They'll reach back out to us and they'll ask us questions. I, I'll always encourage them to, if you're going to write a check and you're not sure about writing that check, give us a phone call. We'll find out what you're doing with it. Give give you a yes or no and, 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 uh, and, and give you, you know, put you at ease a little bit. Well, uh, thanks very much. Just one last question. How much should people budget to get this set up and how much should they budget Annually, just to kind of keep the the legal status and the the process going. Yeah. Um, as far as the cost to get these set up, it's really the same regardless of the dollar amount that the people are investing. Um, we charge typically about twenty three hundred dollars to do these transactions, and that includes the setup fees for the custodial accounts, LLC registration. We do all the paperwork for the opening of the accounts, for transfers, uh, the investment into the asset. Um, usually takes about three weeks for something like an IRA LLC and our solo four hundred one k plans. Similar uh, price and timing. They can be set up a little bit quicker usually. And those fees, by the way, they are typically taken out of the IRA, so it is a it's a pre-tax dollar expense. So we we're paid from the custodial account uh, itself. Um, ongoing fees, you will have the custodial fees because you always do. You, again, you always have that custodian in place. Um, you can expect to pay probably anywhere from uh, two to three hundred dollars a year in custodial fees, and um, You'll also have LLC renewal fees with the state in which you are, uh, in, in which your LLC is set up, and those can range anywhere from fifty to two hundred dollars uh, a year. If we're talking about here in Oregon, it's hundred dollars a year. Uh, those are kind of your hard fees, um, constant fees, the custodial fee and the LLC re renewal. Uh, you can elect to have somebody act as a registered agent for your company. If you do that, then you're you're looking at um, another fee on top of that. Um, if we were to act as somebody's registered agent and do the renewal, then we charge a $325 fee a year to do that, and that includes the $100 fee to the state. Um, the custodians all have some sort of requirement that you have a professional look over the activity of your LLC annually as well. So we do provide a also for those who who don't want to use their accountant or their attorney for that review, we do offer a review process. And if you were to have us do the review and the registered agent service, we charge $500 a year to do all of that for them. If we're just doing a review, it's 175 Great. Okay. Well, it's good to know, too, that you can pull those fees out of the you know custodial account. Yeah. So it's, you know... Uh, nothing out of pocket. So that's good. Well, we're, we're going to deviate from self-directed IRAs for a moment. We're going to get to know you just a little bit so our audience kind of 
has an idea of who you are before they call. Um, was there an aha moment, you know, in, in the last year or so, either in business or personal life, that just kind of um, made you approach your career, your perspective on life a little bit differently? Oh, boy. Deep questions here. Well, <laughs> and it gets even deeper because then you think about all the implications of COVID and everything that's happened, you know, this last year. But just in general, it's, it, I, we think it's really interesting just to kind of hear other people's perspective when that when something clicks in business or in life and you're just like yeah i've been doing this wrong or i should have done this or I'm yeah this guy now. um the aha moments boy um yeah and, and life is sure different now than it was a, a year year <laughs> and a half ago isn't it yeah very much um I, I think that i really sort of appreciate the 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 course that we've taken in in approaching our businesses in the past um and uh you know, when we when we look at clients and just trying to help people out, um, we get a lot of people who will call in and and they're uh, they're very thankful that they have had the help in doing what they've what they've done. Um, I, I think that it's it's become more and more important to me just to uh, have been helpful to people over the years, uh, especially as you get a little bit older in, in life and and. Uh, you know, you, you really start to appreciate the things that are important. Uh, realize what's important, I should say. And um, yeah, I just, I, I just want to, I just want to help people out. Um, and that, that oftentimes does not mean that I'm going to be uh, getting some sort of a service fee from them. And and I mentioned earlier on, we, we 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 take phone calls all day long, every day that that will be from people that are working with somebody else and whether it's on the IRA side or on the 1031 side we'll be we'll constantly be talking to people that that need help that have not been able to get help from whoever they're working with and and when we started up the our our exchange business for example there's a lot of people that do these transactions that are just sort of out of their house and we never wanted to have a situation where somebody was calling up and they could not get a, get a hold of somebody or get an answer, and you know we wanted to treat it as a very professional service, and and I'm, I'm very proud of of what we've built here, and it's fun to have CC my niece here, and it's it really is kind of a it's been a family, and not just immediate family, but everybody that works in here. It's been a, a real good family business, and it's been a great great uh, journey it's had its its ups and downs certainly uh, we've been through a couple of very rough times um, where we really had to draw on the family but um, uh, I'm very 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 proud of what we built and and uh, and what we've done for people yeah that, that's great I mean to be able to look back and say you know I treated people right and it worked yeah. right I mean yeah. I think that that's um, one thing that's been interesting in this process through uh, 2020 and the beginning of 2021 is just being able to be a human to everyone and give a little grace and a little bit of patience because we're all kind of adapting. You know, it's, it's yeah. been an interesting process. There's, there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of the opposite going on out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, th there's no doubt about that. Um, so, Tom, how, how do you measure success? I, I think, I think um, if you can just... Look, look inside and 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 be happy about what what you've done. Um, I I really value family, um, and uh, we were talking. My wife and I were talking about um, family the other day and who's passed and and uh, birthdays that for those people that have passed. And and I always talk to. Uh, she had a my wife had her grandfather uh, who was always this short Italian man uh, that I always remember uh, going over to his house and he's always the, the most the, this is the proudest guy you'd ever you'd, you'd ever meet when he had his family around he was just so proud and, and I I told him one time on, on his birthday that I thought he was the richest man I ever knew and, and um, you know having uh, success is not uh, having having uh, a lot of money or a lot of material things. It's just being, I think, proud of where you've come and 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 having uh, you know, surrounding yourself by people that that are important to you uh, and treating them right and having them treat you right. Absolutely. Yeah. 
good answer. My question is going to be a little bit more fun, less serious. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a bore, apparently. Is that what you're saying? Matthew, I wasn't going to tell you, but uh, now that you brought it up. Um, so in any case, so if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, boy. <laughs> That's still a deep question. That's not an easy one. More fun, though. It is. One, yeah, and, you know, and it's probably not going to be a fun, fun answer for you. I, I, I think that... Um, I think that I would probably actually like to have had dinner with uh, my grandfather on my dad's side. I never knew him. He passed when I was three years old, and and my dad used to just talk about him uh, nonstop and how he would have loved to have seen us do this or seen us do that over the years. And and um, you know, it's so he's one of those guys I heard a lot about over the years and never never got to. Never got to uh, talk to him, or not that I remember anyway. Yeah. Well, that's still a great answer. Well, um, you know, we want to thank you for spending some time with us today. How can our audience get a hold of you or view your information? Sure. Um, we've got a couple of great websites um, on the IRA side. You can go to iraadvantage.com or iraadvantage.net. One of those will work. Um, I give you our, our phone number is uh, 503-619-0223. Uh, so you can reach us by phone. Or you can certainly get our contact through the, that website. On the 1031 side, um, I, we have, I think, the, the best URL in the, in the business, uh, 1031exchange.com. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, yeah, I think that people always ask, well, how'd you get that? And I said, well, when we started up, uh, if, you, if you were to, there was no Google at that time, but, but if you went out <laughs> and searched for it, for 1031s, you might get about three or four different companies came up. And so it's a different world now, but yeah, 1031exchange.com or iraadvantage.com or iraadvantage.net. Awesome. Nice. Well, great. We want to thank our audience for joining us today. If you find this show valuable, we have two favors to ask. The first is, please subscribe to our podcast. The second, would you give us a review? The more subscribers and the more reviews we have, the better the show and the guests. Until next time, invest in the West.